Welcome to A Brief Chat. I am Jason Crane. Today is Friday. It's the 3rd of July, 2020. That means it is the birthday of Aunt Linda, she of podcast fame. So if you uh, want to pass along birthday wishes, I will happily pass them along to her. You could send them to jason at abriefchat.com if you wanted to. Also, on this day in radical history, according to the Slingshot Day Planner, which you can get at slingshotcollective.org, and the Certain Days Calendar, which you can get at certaindays.org, on this day in 1835, the children of Patterson, New Jersey, struck for a six-day week and an 11-hour day. In 1969, there was a rent strike and occupation in the Nicholino section of Turin, Italy. And in 1977... In Washington state, the George Jackson Brigade plants a bomb at the state capitol in support of striking segregated prisoners. That's this day in radical history. All this week, we've been taking a look at Catholicism here on the show. Uh, There was a two-part interview with my cousin Lynn Harding, who's been a Catholic since birth, and a two-part interview with a guy named Mike Robinson, who is a convert, an adult convert to Catholicism, along with his wife. And today, I thought we would dig into some poetry by one of the most well-known Catholics of the 20th century, and that's the uh, author and monk, uh, poet, uh, traveler, activist, Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton, probably uh, most famous for his book, The Seven-Story Mountain, which was a uh, kind of memoir of his early life and then his conversion to Catholicism. He went on to do... Uh, many, many things, including writing many volumes uh, of both prose and poetry, which was even more impressive because he was a Trappist uh, monk. And when he first entered the monastery, uh, he and his fellow monks were only allowed to write two half page letters four times a year. And that's not a lot of text. (laughs) So obviously he got around that in later years. Uh, He, in addition to the seven story mountain, he did a lot to not only publicize the idea of conversion, but he also did a lot to publicize the intersection of different faith traditions. And in particular, um, the intersection of Buddhism and Catholicism. He uh, wrote a lot and did a lot of work with Buddhist monks, you know, co-wrote books, wrote books about Buddhism and Catholicism, which is kind of how I first really became introduced to him through my Buddhist practice. And then, uh, you know, he dovetailed so nicely with so many things that I (laughs) really cared about uh, in the religious world that I became more interested in him. I recently scored a a copy of a book of his poetry at uh, a local used bookstore, which I was quite happy about. I'm going to read you three poems from different parts of his life, starting with one called From the Legend of St. Clement. I have seen the sun spilling its copper petals on the Black Sea by the base of the prisoner's cliff, where from the acts of martyrs tall poems grow up like buildings. Deep in the wall of the wounded mountain, where seas no longer frown, the songs of the martyrs come up like cities or buildings. Their chains shine with hymns, and their hands cut down the giant blocks of stone. Poetry, psalms, flower with a huge architecture, raising their grandeur on the gashed cape. Words of God blaze like a disaster in the windows of their prophetic cathedral. But the sighs of the deep multitude grow out of the mountain's heart as clean as vines. O martyrs, O tremendous prisoners, burying your murder in this marble hill, the Lamb shall soon stand white as a shout against the sky. His feet shall soon strike rainbows from the rock. The cliffs give up their buried streams. 
Throw down the chains of your wrists, prisoners. Drink and swim. The winds have carried your last sentences. That appeared in the February 1949 edition of Poetry Magazine. Here's one called Hymn of Not Much Praise for New York City. When the windows of the west side clash like cymbals in the setting sunlight, and when wind wails amid the east side's aerials, and when both north and south of 34th Street in all the dizzy buildings the elevators clack their teeth and rattle the bars of their cages, then the children of the city, leaving the monkey houses of their office buildings and apartments, with the greatest difficulty open their mouths and sing, Queen among the cities of the earth, New York, rich as a cake, common as a donut, expensive as a fur and crazy as cocaine, we love to hear you shake your big face like a shining bank letting the mad world know you're full of dimes this is your night to make maracas out of all that metal money paris is in the prison house and london dies of cancer this is the time for you to whirl queen of our hopped up peace and let the excitement of your somewhat crippled congas supersede the waltzes of more shining capitals that have been bombed meanwhile we your children weeping in our seasick zoo of windows while you dance will gobble aspirins and try to keep our cage from caving in all the while our minds will fill with these petitions flowering quietly in between our gongs of pulse these will have to serve as prayers O oh, lock us in the safe jails of thy movies confine us to the semi-private wards and white asylums of the unbearable cocktail parties O oh, new york sentence us for life to the penitentiaries of thy bars and nightclubs and leave us stupefied forever by the blue objective lights that fill the pale infirmaries of thy restaurants and the clinics of thy schools and offices and the operating rooms of thy dance halls but never give us any explanations even when we ask why all our food tastes of iodoform and even the freshest flowers smell of funerals no never let us look about us long enough to wonder which of the rich men shivering in the overheated office and which of the poor men sleeping face down in the daily mirror are still alive and which are dead this poem is called at this precise moment of history it's in a series of numbered sections one at this precise moment of history, with goody two-shoes running for Congress, we are testing supersonic engines to keep God safe in the cherry tree. When I said so in this space last Thursday, I meant what I said. Power struggles. 2. You would never dream of such corn. The colonials in sandalwood like running wide open and available for protection. You can throw them away without a refund. 3. Dr. Hompstangle, who was not called Putsi except by those who did not know him, is taped in the National Archives. J. Edgar Hoover, he ought to know, and does know, but calls Dr. Hompstangle Putsi nevertheless, somewhere on tape in the archives. He, Dr. H., is not a silly man. He left in disgust about the same time Shirley Temple sat on Roosevelt's knee, an accomplished pianist, a remembered personality. He, Dr. H., began to teach immortal anecdotes to his mother, a queen bee in the American colony. 4. What is your attitude toward historical subjects? Perhaps it's their size. 5. When I said this, in space, you would never believe Corn Colonel was so expatriated. If you think you know, take this wheel and become standard. 6. She is my only living mother, this bee of the bloody arts, bandaging victims of Saturday's dance like a veritable sphinx in a totally new combination. 7. The Queen Mother is an enduring vignette at an early age. Now she ought to be kept in submersible decompression chambers for a while. 
8. What is your attitude toward historical subjects like queen colonies? They are permanently fortified for shape retention. 9. Solid shades, seven zippered pockets close to my old place waiting by the road, big disc brakes, spin-off, zoom, long lights stabbing at the two together piggyback in a stark sports roadster. Regretting his previous outburst, Al loads his Cadillac with love nests. 10. She is my only living investment. She examines the housing industry, counts 3.5 million post-war children turning 21, and draws her own conclusion in the commercial fishing field. 11. Voice of little sexy ventriloquist Mignon. Well, I think all of us are agreed, and sincerely, I myself believe that honest people on both sides have got it all on tape. Governor Reagan thinks that nuclear wampums are a last resort that ought not to be resorted. But little Mignon went right to the point with... We have a commitment to fulfill, and we better do it quick. No dupe she. All historians die of the same events at least twice. 13. I felt that I ought to open this case with an apology. Dr. H certainly has a beautiful voice. He is not a silly man. He is misunderstood even by presidents. 14. You people are criticizing the church, but what are you going to put in her place? Sometimes sit down with a pencil and paper and ask yourself what you've got that the church hasn't. 15. Nothing to add but the big voice of a detective using the wrong first names in National Archives. 16. She sat in shocking pink with an industrial zipper specially designed for sitting on the knees of presidents in broad daylight. She spoke the president's mind. We have a last resort to be resorted and we better do it quick. He wondered at what he had just said. 17. It was all like running wide open in a loose gown without slippers, at least someplace. Three poems by Thomas Merton on this Poetry Friday episode of A Brief Chat. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear all the previous Poetry Friday episodes, most of which contain the actual poets reading their work, you can go to abriefchat.com and click on Poetry Fridays. While you're there, as a matter of fact, you could become a member of this show, and it would be greatly appreciated. Just click on Support the Show. I'll be back tomorrow with a bonus episode if you are a member. I'll be back Monday with a regular episode if you're not. Have a wonderful weekend. I love you. A better world is possible, but we have a lot of work to do. Please.